Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all brothers and sisters who have joined us in church this morning for worship of our triune God. We also extend a special warm welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning here in church and to those who are with us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory had the following announcements. Consistory as elders only will meet at 8 p.m. tomorrow, Lord willing. You are reminded of the wedding ceremony of Adam Sieben and Jamin Bowen Spiker, scheduled for this Thursday, the 6th of April at 1 p.m. in this building. This week, Friday, the 7th of April, we will commemorate Christ's sacrificial death with a Good Friday worship service, commencing at 9.30 a.m. Next week, Sunday, the 9th of April, Lord's Supper will be celebrated in the morning service. And this morning, the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the service, let us sing Psalm 52, verse 6. Sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing from Psalm 146, the verses 3, 4, and 5.
The Lord has given us his commandments in order to teach us how to live in an open relationship together with him. Let's listen to the commandments this morning as they come to us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. That your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. and The Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not... Desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Then it's in the next chapter that the Lord summarizes this teaching for us. It's in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. May the Lord give us great love for him, that we indeed show that by walking in obedience to his commands. Let's also now sing together from Psalm 19. We're going to make confession that we don't always do that, and we're going to pray to God that he would forgive us for the times we fail. Psalm 19, verse 5.
Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing over this worship service. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, to thank you. Thank you that you are our God, and that in Christ Jesus you have entered into a special relationship with us. Thank you, Lord, that we may be in Christ, that in Christ you have adopted us into your family, that in Christ you've promised us redemption of all our sins, that for Christ's sake you've promised to live in our hearts with your Holy Spirit, and you've promised a glorious future to us. Thank you, Father, that our lives are hidden in Christ with you, and that just as Christ had a spiritual life, just as you lived in him and he lived in you, so also Christ lives in us and we live in him. Thank you, Lord, for this unique bond that we may have with you. You are the almighty God. You're the, the most powerful person in the world, and yet you're willing to have this intimate fellowship together with us. We pray, Lord, that you live powerfully in our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that we may love you, that we may walk closely with you. Dear Father in heaven, we pray to this end that you would bless the time that we have in your word. It's such a gift that you give us, that we have peace and freedom. We can meet together here. We can open the Bible. And it says we open your word that you teach us about who you are, about your character, about your kindness and your dealings with us. And you invite us to share in your character and to reflect your work. Lord, we, we pray that as we open your word, that you would bless us with it. Give our hearts that we may be sensitive to the teachings that you give us. Grant that we do so with an open mind, that we're willing to listen to what you have to say to us, that we reflect on these things, that we realize that these are words of life, that you love us dearly and that you, you wish to draw us close to you, and that, Lord, through these words, that you wish to impart your life to us, your people. And then, Lord, we also confess to you that, that we have sinned against you. We just heard your law and we just sang together from, from Psalm 19. And we prayed, Father, that you would please cleanse us and that you would not only forgive all the sins that are obvious, but that you also forgive our secret failings and the, the hidden faults that we have within us. That's also the truth of our lives, Lord. We we sometimes commit these sins and they're really obvious to everyone. We're really proud or selfish, we're really greedy or lustful or angry. But then there's other sins that are much more hidden. Sometimes we, the motives of our hearts and the desires of our hearts, they're things that we keep hidden from other people and so no one else sees them. And we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for that and that you wipe us clean in the blood of your Son. Lord, thank you that, that you sent your Son to wash us thank you that through him that we can have life, that we may have fellowship with you. And so we confess that we depend upon him, that we seek your grace, that we, we trust that you will do that for Christ's sake. Please bless our time together now, Father, and please hear us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I may preach to you God's word as we find that in Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi 3, the Lord tells us, return to me and I will return to you. And the context there is that the Israelites are unfaithful in giving the tithe to the Lord. So in connection with that, I'd like to read three passages of scripture with you. We're going to read a few verses from Deuteronomy 14, a few verses from 2 Corinthians 9, and a few verses from 1 Timothy 6. So 
So we're going to start together, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 29. So part of the lament that the Lord has against his people in Malachi 3 is that they're not faithful in giving the tithe. And here in Deuteronomy 14, the Lord tells his people what the expectation is surrounding the tithe. So in Deuteronomy 14, at verse 22, you can find that on page 187 of your guest Bible. There God's word says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from, from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long so that you're not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So that's the first passage. I'd like to now invite you to open your Bible to 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to read the verses 66 to 15. And you can find that on page 1150. Two Corinthians nine, starting at verse six. There God's word continues. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and the increase of the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others 
while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Then the final passage I'd like to read with you is taken from 1 Timothy 6. You can find it on page 1180, 1180. One Timothy six. First, we're going to read the verses six to ten. One Timothy six, verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some, people have, that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Continuing in verse 17. Six verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So far. Let's now sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from Psalm 37, the verses 1 and 3.
The text for the sermon this morning is taken from Malachi chapter 3. We're going to read together Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12. You can find that on page 954 of your guest Bible. Malachi 3, starting at verse 6, we're going to read through to to verse 12. The Lord says, For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and the vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So far. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 66, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, as an act of love, the Lord sent his prophet Malachi to the people living in around the the 5th century before Christ in order to prepare them for the coming of Jesus Christ. His people had come out of exile, they'd settled into the promised land, but things weren't quite going for them the way that they had hoped. They were still struggling in all sorts of different ways. The Lord, he sent Malachi to them and he said, you know, the core reason why you're struggling so much is because you're not honoring me. You're not giving me the glory that I'm due. And the the previous chapters, he talked about a bunch of areas. The first thing is he said, you know, when when you come to worship me, you're not honoring in the way that you do that. You're really apathetic in your worship. And one of the ways that's reflected is that you give me the lame and the blind of your animals when you come to worship me. Then in chapter 2, he told the priests, you're not faithful in teaching my people about who I am. Then he went on and he says, you're also not faithful in marriage. There's some of you who are getting divorced, and there's some of you who are getting married to foreigners. Then on top of that, you also have a bad attitude towards me. You question me about my justice, and in the meantime, you continue living in sin. And so the Lord sent his prophet to his people. He, He really loves them. And he wants to go well with them. And so he calls out their sin. And he says, you can't, you can't keep living that way. You, know, you need to understand that I'm your God. I am the Lord of hosts. And he uses that term throughout this whole book. It's in our chapter again, or in our section this afternoon, this morning. It's used four times. I am the Lord of the hosts. I'm the Lord of the heavenly beings. 
I'm the almighty, powerful God who's seated on the throne and it was millions of angels who are surrounding, surrounding him. And he says, you're not treating me with the kind of respect that I'm due. And the next way God calls it out here in our section is in the way that they handle their money. God says, you're not honoring me by giving me the tithe that you're supposed to do. Well, once again, brothers and sisters, it's not bad for us to reflect this today. We live in a culture that's consumed with materialism. There's this profound sense within our world of of the idolatry of wealth. It's pretty easy for us as well to get caught up in that in different kinds of ways. And so it's good for us to test our hearts to see if they're fully devoted to the Lord if we've gone astray. So I preach God's word to you this morning with this theme, the Lord delights in those who are generous like him. We'll see in the first place the rebuke, then the test, and finally the gift. So it starts off with the rebuke. In verse 7, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you, sh- but you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. The core issue is that the people were not bringing in the tithe. Now the word for tithe, literally, it means one-tenth. And the Lord had commanded his people in the Mosaic laws, he said, you are obligated in the covenant relationship with me, to give me a tithe of your produce, whatever you get off the field. So whatever you you harvest your grain, whatever comes in off the olives, whatever comes in off the vine, any produce that you you get, you have to give me the, the first tenth of what you collect. And that's not the only giving that God's people had to do. You know, from elsewhere, there's actually a bunch of other giving that that was expected of them. They had to give the temple tax. Talked about that in Exodus 30, verses 13 to 15. Or in Exodus 34, God also says, you have to give me the firstborn of your animals. And also, you have to dedicate to me and redeem from me the firstborn of your children. And in Deuteronomy 15, he also tells us he has kind of a a welfare system that he built up on top of that. If you're really wealthy and if you have slaves... And every seventh year, you had to let your slaves go free. And part of the welfare system also is that if you became really wealthy, you bought other people's land, then once every 50 years, you had to give the land back to the people that originally inherited it. So it goes back to its original owners. You have to set any slaves free. And you have to cancel any debts. And so once every 50 years, the poor people, they had a chance to start over. They had a chance to become established in life once again. That's very kind of the Lord. But the foundation of it all is this tithe. The core thing God says, and that's what he obligated them, he says, you need to give me a tenth of what I give you. And again, if you, if you put that into the context of the ancient Near East, it's actually really quite a blessing. Because in the ancient Near East, you know, you, it was often a third most of the countries, they had to pay tax to their king. And they had to pay one-third of what they got. Or you think of Joseph, for example, in Egypt. 
Joseph was, on behalf of Pharaoh, he collected a tax from the people, and it was 20%. Well, here the Lord says, he says, give me 10%. There is the other giving, but the core giving that they had to do was this 10%. And it was really important in a bunch of ways in the relationship between God and his people. Why did God want the tithe? Well, in the first place, God says, it's a recognition that what you have comes from me. You need to recognize that I am the giver. And the way that you recognize that is by giving back to me the first of what I've given to you. You give me back 10%. And a second part of it is the trust. You know, when you, when you have what you have and when you're, when you're struggling in life, then it can be really hard to give away a bunch of, of your money. And the Israelites at this time, they, they come out of Persia. They're having a hard time of it. You know, there were a few wealthy people. If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you read there were some people among them who were really wealthy. But the majority of the people, they were really struggling. They didn't have a lot of money. If you don't have a lot of money, it's easy to think, oh, 10%. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. And so you start skimping. And you don't give the whole tithe. That's exactly what happened. The people here, they didn't give God the whole tithe. Well, the Lord calls it out. It's pretty direct. He says, you're robbing me. It's not just that you're weak or, or that, you know, that you know, you need to correct a few things. No, he says, you're stealing from me. You're robbing from me. You're not bringing in the full tithe. In one sense, it's, it's really quite something. It's, it's a beautiful window into people's hearts. You know, earlier on, these people, they were bringing lame and blind animals to worship God. And that was really obvious for everyone. Everyone knows that you're bringing a lame animal to, to the sacrifice. But with a tithe, it's, it's really quite something else. Because with a tithe, nobody really knows what goes on back at the farm. And so, this is your chance in your heart to show God how much you really love him. And that you really do trust him. And so you take your one-tenth, you bring it to the place he chooses, either you bring it to the local town or you bring it to Jerusalem, and you, you have to present it there before the Lord. Well, the Lord says that these Israelites at Kor, they didn't trust him. They didn't love him with their whole hearts. They weren't serving him in the way that he called them to. And so in the end, he called them to repent. And he shows us that their disobedience was not just a little thing. He uses covenant language. He says, you're breaking the covenant. I have this, this beautiful relationship with you where, where I promise to be your God and I'm going to look after you and you promise to be my people and you promise to serve me faithfully according to my word. But he says, you're breaking the covenant. It's in verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. That's covenantal language. You've turned aside from my statutes. You've broken the covenant. And so God calls it out, and he says in verse 10, he says, you are cursed with a curse. You steal from me, you rip me off, I'm not going to bless you. I'm going to curse you. And so it shouldn't be a surprise if things don't go well for you. It's really sad that this happens. Because the Lord teaches us elsewhere in the scripture that this is one of the great ways in which he wishes to extend his generosity and his kindness and his blessing to others. You know, the tithe was used in three different ways. The first way was to support the priests. 
We read that in Deuteronomy 14.29. It talks about how the priests are supported through the work of the tithe. If you read the parallel passage in Numbers 18, it explains that far more. So the, the way that God supported the priests, they didn't have their own land. They didn't have the, the inheritance, the share in the inheritance. But God said, he said, I'm going to provide for you. He said, I am your inheritance. And so when the Israelites give me the tithe, I'm going to give that to you. And so I'm going to have a special relationship with you Levites, and I'm going to give you whatever you need from the tithe of the Israelites. And then the second reason the Lord wanted the tithe is because he says in Deuteronomy 14.29 that the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow should also share in it. This is part of God's welfare program. You bring in the tithe, and then there's people who are they're disadvantaged. They don't have the safety network of a family. They're a sojourner, or they're fatherless, or they're a widow. And then God says, I've got to make sure that I look after these people. And one of the ways I do that is through the tithe. If they need something, they can come to the, to the town, they can come to Jerusalem, and they'll be provided for. And so this is the Old Testament versions of deacons. This is how they did it, the Old Testament. And then the third reason it was important is because God says that he used the tithe to bring the community together and to celebrate a feast. Deuteronomy 14 You'll take your produce, and you'll come to Jerusalem. Or if it's too long, he says, then you can just sell it. And you can take some money. And when you get to Jerusalem, then buy whatever you want to buy. And then we're going to have a party. We're going to have a celebration. Everybody's going to join together. We're going to celebrate together the gifts that I've given you. And together, we're going to, we're going to praise God and thank God for the good things that he's given. You know, for you who've lived in North America for a while, think Thanksgiving. That's what this is. This is a Thanksgiving celebration. You have this time where you meet together, you reflect together in humble gratitude to the Lord for the riches of his gifts. And you have this real time of celebration in the bounty of the harvest that he gives to his people. Well, that was God's intentions with the tithe. And yet the people were failing. They didn't care about God didn't care about his people, they weren't doing what he called them. Well, on top of that, the Lord had another way he wished to use, or another wish, way in which he wished to, to extend his goodness to his people. He, you know, he could have come down on them at this point, and he could have said, listen, you don't do this, and I'm going to come in judgment, and I'm really going to punish you. But what he does instead is he flips it around, is he appeals to them. And he says, you know, he says, just try me. Just test me. See if I'm faithful. See if, I, if I'm a good God. And it's really quite something that he says that. You know, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. See if I don't open the floodgates of heaven. And if you have more than you can need, ever use. Well, it's a very kind thing. Usually in the scriptures, if you test God, it's not a good thing. God says, don't test me. Don't be a bratty two-year-old who comes to me and who says, no, I'm not going to do that unless you first, da, da, da. Well, the Lord here, he turns it around and he opens the opportunity. He says, this time, you can test me. You can see if I'm faithful. So bring in the full tithe and see if I will not 
give you more than you could possibly use. Verse 13, he even takes it a step further. He says, you know, if you do this, he says you're going to get international recognition. People all over the world, they're going to hear about how much I've blessed you and how greatly things are going for you. It's really quite a kindness to the Lord. He's very gentle in dealing with his people. When you hear about this, brothers and sisters, you know, you... You reflect on that, and you can, you can wonder to yourself, well, how much of this applies for us today? Does this actually apply? Do we have to bring in a tithe? Can we test God today? God, I'm going to try this. I'm going to bring in a tithe, and I'm going to see if you're going to open the floodgates of heaven, and if you're going to bless me more richly than I can ever imagine. Well, to understand this passage, to to make sense of it, we have to understand that there are some elements of continuity between Old and New Testament, and there's also some elements of discontinuity. And if we can start with the discontinuity, you know, we today don't live under Mosaic legislation. We're not bound by the laws of Moses. In God's Confession, Article 25, it talks about the the ceremonies and the symbols of the law have been fulfilled in Christ and they no longer apply to us though it says their truth and substance remains. So there's, there's underlying principles, there's deep truths that remain for us although the specific laws don't exactly apply to us. And that's, a, that's also true here of the tithe. You know, we're not living in 5th century Palestine. We're not the nation of Israel. We're not farmers. We're not commanded to bring a tithe of our property into the church or into some other place. You know, in a sense, that's a really good thing, too, because I don't know if I could survive on a few vegetables and a few grass clippings. But that doesn't mean the passage is irrelevant for us. It's so interesting when you look at the Lord's commands for the New Testament that there's so many principles that are identical. The principles don't change. One passage, it's in 1 Corinthians 9, the Lord upholds the principle that those who preach the gospel should be supported by the gospel. Paul spells it out. There's a bunch of other passages in the New Testament as well, but he's very clear that those who preach today should also still be supported by those who give today. And so the principle of giving to the church so that the proclamation of the gospel is supported is a very biblical principle also, and that applies to the New Covenant era as well. And then with regards to giving, there's also a remarkable similarity. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, in this passage, Paul is teaching the Corinthians about giving to the poor, and he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. There's two principles that stand out here. He says, on the first day of the week, Well, the first day, this was the Sunday. This was the day of worship. But it's not just the Sunday. It's not just the day that they're celebrating the the resurrection of Christ. This first day of the week, the principle is that this is the first thing you do. You give first fruits, you set aside on the first day of the week. It's not that you first live and spend all that you want to spend, and at the end of it, you take the leftovers, and you kind of think, now, uh, what do we have left to give to the Lord? No, God says first day of the week. You do it first off. And then he also says, 
you give, each man should give as he may prosper. And so the principle is that you give proportionally. You give as you prosper. Now God doesn't say here it has to be 10%, but he does say it should be a percentage. And so if you have a very large income, then it should be a percentage of that. If you have a very small income, then it should be a percentage of that. And then everyone wonders, well, well, what percent? Should it be 10%? Is that what it ought to be? Or should it be more than that? Or should it be less than that? Or how do we figure it out? Well, the Lord actually tells us. There's the passage we read together from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He's actually very explicit about it. Maybe you want to open your Bible with me. We'll read the verses together. In 2 Corinthians 9, page 1150. How much do you give? Well, God says, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How much do you give? God says, you decide. You decide. It's your call. That's the biblical teaching. But then God also says a few things. He also says, back in verse 6, He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So he says the very same thing as he told the Israelites. He says, test me in this. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour more on you than you can hold in your storehouses. The Lord says the same thing here. He says, if you sow sparingly, don't be surprised if you reap sparingly. And if you sow generously, then don't be surprised if you reap generously. So the principle is that it's a matter of the heart. God's saying, it's about your heart. I want your heart. I want you to love me from the heart. He's really appealing to you, brothers and sisters. He is a God who is generous in his dealings with his people. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's very generous. He loves for things to go well for us, and he loves to bless us. And now he invites us, and he says, I invite you to join me in that generosity. You decide, but I invite you to join me in that generosity. And he says, if you are generous, you need to understand, you're not going to suffer for that. If you're generous like I am, then I'm going to bless you. And he talks about that in the next verses. If you go to verse 8... Paul says in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You have all sufficiency. And he says, actually, like you're going to have enough. You're going to have more than enough. And he says, actually, that doesn't only apply financially. That's going to apply to every area of life. 
as you show generosity to me, as you share my character, I'm going to bless you in every way. You are going to be able to have all sufficiency in all things at all times to abound in every good work. He carries on the next verse, verse 10. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God will enrich you in every way. And you'll be able to be generous in every way. And in the end, that's going to lead to great thanksgiving to the Lord God. It's an invitation, brothers and sisters, to share in the heart of your Father, to live like Him, to rest under His blessing. A beautiful example of that in the Macedonians, you go back one chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, in the first verses there, these Macedonians, they lived in extreme poverty. But their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. They were just so thankful that they could also support the saints in Jerusalem, and they were extremely generous, despite the fact that they had almost nothing. Well, that's an example of the Spirit working in the hearts and lives of God's people. I ask you to reflect on your own heart. You know, where are you at with it? Do you give first fruits? Do you give generously? Do you give cheerfully? God loves a cheerful giver. And do you also give as an expression of your love for God? As a way of showing him that you're really thankful for everything that he's done for you? I have a minister friend back in Canada. Before becoming a minister, he he had a previous life as an accountant and as a financial planner. As an accountant and a financial planner, he was able to fill in the tax forms for thousands and thousands of reformed folk. CanRC, URC, FRC, NRC. So one day he did a presentation for us as ministers, how to handle your finances. He made this comment, he says, you know, it's really interesting. He says, reformed people on average give 3 to 4% of their, of their earnings. That's what they give away. That is their charitable giving for the year. Well, maybe I can ask you, is it true of, of the FRC people here in Australia too? Is that you? And if it is, then I'd ask you to, to think about that. In the Old Testament, God says you must give 10%. That's compulsory. That's covenant relationship. That's what the relationship looks like in the covenant. Well, the New Testament, we're not in that space anymore. It's not compulsory. But in the New Testament, we're in the space that we're so much richer than those people. They didn't know Christ. They didn't know about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They didn't live in the age of the Spirit. They don't know the riches that we know. They're not living in the anticipation of the eternal life that's in store for us. And they don't know the richness of what all that meant. But if back then God said 10%, then do you think he's going to be pleased if we give 3%? Is that 
a generous heart? Is that really thanksgiving to God? It's your call, brothers and sisters. Do you do what you wish to do? Then God says, you reap what you reap. What he really wants is he wants you to share his character. He wants you to be like him. And so he he invites you to be generous. To be generous in, in your giving. And it's not about the church. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, brothers and sisters. It's not about the church. We don't need your money. The Lord has all the money in the world. The Lord can supply for the needs of his church without your money. That's not what this is about. Because the Lord has the money. And he has any way that he needs, he can supply the money for his people. And so this is not an appeal that we need to bring more money into the church and this needs to become a bigger organization. That's not what that's about. What it's about is about your heart. It's about your giving. It's about your love for the Lord. It's about your love for the poor people around you. It's about what's really going on in your heart. That's also why I read this passage from 1 Timothy 6. In 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul, he does this, this strong contrast between two kinds of people. In the verses 6 to 9, 6 to 10, he talks about some people who are caught in a love for money. He first tells us there to be content with food and clothing. And then he continues, Paul says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. If you love money, God says, it's going to take over your life. And it's going to ruin your life. And the word for ruin and destruction here is the word for eternal damnation. It's going to lead you into hell. And you see it happen. There are some people who love money. They're greedy, and they're envious, and they're covetous. And it leads to all manner of sin, to lying, and to cheating, and to swindling, and to stealing, to cash jobs, to cutting corners, to cheating on your taxes. You take things from work. You rip off your employees. You borrow something and you don't return it. You take advantage of your family members. You wreck someone's property and you don't tell them that it was you. Or you skimp on your giving. There's no blessing in that. That's the kind of life that leads to destruction. God says, that's not for you. He says, you're my people. And I love you. And I will not have that for you. Instead, he says, I really love you. And I really want it to go well for you. I want a future with you. And for the Israelites, that's what happened. He had a future. And why? It's not because they are so good or so faithful. In Malachi 3, he says in verse 6 there, he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. He probably should have punished these people long ago, but he never did. And the reason he didn't is because of his faithfulness to his covenant promises. I do not change. And therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. That's really striking. He calls them here the children of Jacob. Who's Jacob? 
Jacob was a swindler and a cheat. He cheated his brother out of the inheritance. He spent his whole life striving and straining to get ahead without trusting in his God. It's only much later that Jacob came to learn to trust. The reason the Lord didn't wipe out Jacob, and the reason he didn't wipe out these people of Malachi's time, and the reason he doesn't wipe out us, is because of his faithfulness to his covenant promises. It's because of his kindness. It's because of his love for us in Jesus Christ, that Christ bore our punishment, and for Christ's sake, that he extends us his blessing. But then he says, it can't go on. It must change. He says, return, return to me, and I will return to you. What does that look like? Real life, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that you have to give away all your money, brothers and sisters. That's not the calling. The Lord, he says somewhere in scripture, he says he is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of stuff. He is the Lord of your stuff. He's the one who, who gives you stuff, and he delights to give it to you. There's some people in the scriptures, they thought, well, I need to be ascetic. I need to give it all away, and I need to, to do whatever I can and live without all this stuff. The Lord said, never mind. Colossians 2, he says, you're not more righteous or more holy if you give away all your stuff. The ascetic life is not the godly life. He says, that gives a false impression. He says, you, you get proud because of who you are and because of what you're doing, and it, gives you, it doesn't help you to restrain your sensual indulgence. And so it's not about giving everything away. But what he says is he says, I just want it to have a right place in your life. He says, don't spend your whole life striving to get more money. Don't make that the focus. Don't let it become an idol for you. Don't be greedy and cut corners. And don't skimp in your giving to me. But trust me. Really trust me. And show that by giving your first fruits. And give proportionally to what you get. And be generous. Remember that I love a cheerful giver. So in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, God also says, I want you to, to use opportunities to bless the people around you. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of, the lot, of that which is truly life. So first he says, don't be proud. Don't set your heart on it. And he says, you know, he says, recognize that I give it to you to enjoy. I want you to enjoy it. And I give it to you to enjoy it. But then on top of that, God also says, use it to bless others. I want you to be rich in good works, and I want you to be generous, and I want you to be willing to share. If you do that, then you reflect my character, that you show my love to the people around you. Well, how do you get there, brothers and sisters? How do you actually put it into practice? Well, you do it through faith in Christ. You do it when the Spirit of Christ lives in you. And by nature, we always tend in the wrong direction. We tend to want to keep it for ourselves. 
Or maybe we tend to want to give it all away because that way we'll be really righteous and we can say, God, look what I did. I gave it all away. Well, the one who got it right was the Lord Jesus. He really loved his father. At one stage, he had it all. He was in heaven. He created this world. He had authority over all things. It literally, it all belonged to him. He could have anything he ever wanted. But at some point, he set it aside. He put it away from himself. And when he came into this world, then he lived as the son of a working class family. His father was a carpenter. And you'd be pretty certain that he worked together with his dad in the carpentry shop. He started off really humble and meager. He started off and he was born in a stable. During the course of his life, he didn't have stuff. He talked about that during his ministry. You know, foxes have holes and birds of the air has nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But that didn't stress him out because day by day, God provided for him. God looked out for him. The only thing he really had was the clothes on his back. And in the end, they even took that from him. He's on the cross and they, they took his clothes and they sold it on him. And he's willing to go through that for us because that's what we deserve. When you're greedy and when you're covetous, and when you're not generous in your dealings like God is generous in his dealings, then you deserve that curse. You deserve nothing. That God takes it all away from you. That he punishes you for your hardness of heart and for your idolatry. And yet Christ bore that punishment. He did it for you. He had nothing so that you could have his blessing. And so now since he blesses you and since he gives to you, he says, please, just thank me. And please show my generosity in your dealings with others. Look to the Lord Jesus. Ask that his spirit live in you, and he will enable you, he'll equip you to get it right, to do in a way that honors me, and that leads to blessing for you and for the people around you. Amen. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing of the faithfulness of the Lord in providing for his people, hymn 66, verses 1, 2, and 3.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Our prayer, we're going to remember the, the, uh, the funeral for our late brother Jensen. Also thank the Lord that our brother Wally Tenhoff is able to wake up this past week and begin the process of healing. Thankfully, he's, coming out of, or he's come out of ICU. So we'll pray God for his blessing over his recovery. Also thank God for the, for the wedding of our brother and sister Keith and Margaret Vanderleer. We'll ask God for a blessing over their, their marriage. And we'll also pray for a blessing over the wedding of Adam and Hermine. That's scheduled for this coming week. Let's pray to God. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. We thank you that you teach us about the generosity that you have in your dealings with us. You're very kind, God, Lord. You've taken very good care of your people. It's as we trust in you, as we rely upon you, as we honor you, also financially with our giving, that you delight to reveal yourself to us and to take care of us also financially. Lord, thank you for your grace in Christ. Thank you for all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. And thank you for the material blessings that you've given us. We're so grateful, Lord, for the, for the wealth that we get to enjoy these days. We live in a time where there's an exuberance of wealth. We have so many things. We have the things that we need. And on top of that, we have so many other things. Our cupboards are full of clothes and our, they're full of, of dishes and, and full of things. Our closets are stuffed full of, of extra things. We have all these chairs we don't sit on. We have all these pictures on our walls. We have a garage that's stuffed full of extra stuff, and sometimes we even need to take out some storage for the extras that we don't have space within our homes. Father, thank you for the boats that we can have. Thank you for the caravans. Thank you for the fancy cars we get to drive, and thank you for the beautiful homes we get to live in. Thank you for all the incredible blessings that you give us. You're extremely generous, and we recognize that this all comes from you, and we want to honor you, and we want to thank you for that, and we give you praise and glory for it. At the same time, Lord, we want to appeal to you for help. We want to ask that you work powerfully in our hearts, that we may be able to share your generosity with those around us. Lord, you've been extremely generous. We pray then that we also may have a spirit of extreme generosity. Help us to be generous to you, that we love you, that we want to show you how much we love you, and that we do that by giving faithfully to you. Help us to be generous in our dealings with the poor. There are poor people around us who struggle in life. They have real difficulty, sometimes even finding food and, and paying for the most basic necessities of life. But we pray that you give us the ability to be generous in our dealings with them. We want to pray for a special measure of your grace that are given to our deacons, that they can have a spirit of generosity in their dealings with your people, that they can show how much you love them, and that they're able and willing to demonstrate their, this in their dealings with them. Father, we pray that you would help and that you would give us giving hearts so that we're able to, to support the deacons to this end, so that all the members of our congregation can share in your grace and in your mercy. Father in heaven, we also wish to ask that you help us to extend this generosity beyond our own borders. We have the opportunity from time to time to, to collect for some of the needy churches in different places, in PNG or sometimes in South Africa or sometimes elsewhere. We also personally, we have many opportunities to give, give generously to people in need. Father, please stir our hearts that we may recognize that you are the good giver, and that as a, an expression of our love and our gratitude to you, that we give to those who are in need. Thank you for doing this already, and we pray that this may continue. 
We also want to confess to you our sin in this. There are times where we've really sinned. There's times where we've been greedy and covetous. Where we're caught up in the pursuit of wealth. We look around us at what other people have and we want what they have. And so we buy all sorts of things and we pursue all sorts of things. And we become really focused on ourselves. Father, forgive us for our greed. Forgive us for our envy. Forgive us for our covetousness. Forgive us for failing to give and for failing to be generous. Forgive us for our stinginess. Please show us mercy and please do it for Jesus' sake. Please also work powerfully in our hearts with your Holy Spirit that you would renew us, that you fill us with the spirit of our Lord Jesus, that in our financial dealings that we can live the way that you expect, that we can be generous, that we can extend your your grace, and your blessing to others. Dear Father in heaven, we also pray that, that you would please bless us in every other way in our lives. We want to, to ask that you would please bless us in our families. I want to pray, Father, that you would be with us as parents, that we raise our children in a home where there is peace, where there is safety, where there is the outliving of the gospel, where there can be joy and hope, where there can be faith and love, there can be unity and safety. Father, these are gifts of your spirit. And so we pray that you would help us to create this context within our families. Grant that as husbands and wives that we may love each other from the heart and grant us the ability to, to really show that in our, our dealings with one another. We're so thankful, Father, for the gift that you've given to our brother and sister Vanderleer, that yesterday Keith and Margaret could be married. And we want to pray for your blessing upon them. Father, give them a beautiful life together. It's quite a unique gift that in their 60s that they're able to be married. And we want to pray for them, that your face would shine upon them. Grant that they may experience a beautiful unity of faith. And grant, Lord, that they can encourage each other in the hope of the gospel. And please grant that their hearts are filled with love for one another. And that love reaches out in practical ways where they get to support and care for each other. Where they may have great affection for one another. Father, thank you that, that you give this. You are the one who is the source of these gifts. And we pray that you would shine your face upon them and grant them this blessing, that they may have many years together as husband and wife under your grace. And then we also pray for, for Adam and Hermine. We're so thankful that they can look forward to getting married this Thursday. We want to ask you, Lord, that you also give them a blessed day together. Grant that they may open their hearts to one another, that they're able to have a grand celebration with family members and friends and that they may also receive your blessing on their marriage so that they can look forward to many years as husband and wife. Father, we also pray that, that within our families that you would please bless us to extend your grace and hospitality to the people around us. We're thankful, Lord, for the many guests and visitors that you always bring to us. We also thank you for the, for the communion of the saints, that we can be a part of this church community. Please help us to love each other from the heart, Lord. Help us to know one another and help us to reach out to one another. Grant that, that through your grace and through your blessing, that we may have a spirit of love and unity among us, and that our congregation may thrive. Please be with the, the young mums with the, who are expecting children. Please grant, Lord, a blessing over the pregnancies of, of those women who are pregnant. Grant that in due time that they may receive children and that all things may go well. We also pray, Father, that you would be near to those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. I think especially of the Jansen family, Father, we're grateful for the, for the time that we could have together on Wednesday, laying his body to rest. We're grateful for the promises of the gospel and for the encouragement that you give us in doing so. 
We're so thankful also for the peace of Christ that you give to this family, that they believe the promises, and in doing so, that they experience your peace in their lives. At the same time, Lord, it's really a time of grieving. They miss him, and they're going to miss him. And we ask that you give them a rich measure of your Holy Spirit, that you carry them through this. Please reveal yourself, and please also help us to show your love in our dealings with them. Father, we ask that you'd also please take care of our brother Wally Tenhaf. We're grateful, Lord, that he was able to wake up after surgery, grateful that, that he can be healing, and we want to pray for your blessing over this healing. Father, we ask that you would look upon him in mercy, that you grant that the healing may, may continue and progress and that it would go well. And we pray, Father, that you would give him the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great blessings that our brother receives is he has a real sense of your providence, of your care in his life. We pray, Lord, that you confirm him in that, that he may trust you with all his heart and that he may rest under your grace and blessing. That we also entrust our sister Leone and also the children to your care as well. Father, it's been a really trying week. They, they didn't know what was going to happen and how everything's going to turn out. And so we entrust them to you, Lord, and we pray that you would please comfort them. Please give them the peace of Christ and give them a rich measure of your Holy Spirit. And please also grant that they may have strength and energy for the life that, that lies before. Please grant your blessing upon this family and please support them with your Holy Spirit. Father, we also pray that you would please take care of the rest of the members of our congregation who are struggling with health concerns. There's quite a few members among us who do, who do and we ask for, for your help with that. We pray that you would provide relief, that you provide endurance, that you provide help. Thank you for being our God, and, and thank you that we can ask you for these things. We ask now that you would also please accept our thank offerings. We're grateful, Lord, that this morning that we're able to have a collection for those who have special needs among us, for Eucalypt. I want to pray for a blessing over the work that goes on there, Lord. We're so thankful that we can cooperate together in caring for these, these members of our church who have special needs. And we pray, Lord, that, that the work would go well. Please grant that those who, who care who are carers, that you would give them a special measure of your mercy, give them a heart that's filled with love, give them the ability to do their task faithfully and joyfully, and grant that there can be a beautiful spirit in the home. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the blessings you do provide. And we also pray for those within our own congregation here who do have special needs. We ask, Lord, that you shine your face upon them, that you give them peace and joy, that it may go well for them. We pray for their families as well, that they may have the extra strength and energy that they need to care for, for your people. Father, thank you that we can ask this for you, of you, and thank you that you promise to, to hear us for Jesus' sake. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you, you do have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. We sang together at the... Um, the beginning of this hour from Psalm 146. I'd just like to read there with you just a couple of verses from the last part of that psalm. So 146, that it speaks about the, the kindness and the care of the Lord and caring for his people. He not only executes justice for the oppressed, he also gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, and the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner, and he upholds the widow and the fatherless. Well, this is God's heart. He has a special place in his heart for those who are vulnerable and needing his help in special ways. And so today, you get to share in that. 
And you get to do so by collecting for those among us who have special needs for the work that you collect. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 78, verses 2, 3, and 5.
received out the blessing of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.